This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. So just before Sue comes and brings the word, I'm just going to uh, read the passage for us. So we're back in Luke, uh, Luke 22, and I'm going to read from uh, 14 through to 23. Um, When the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. Praise God. So Sue comes, let's just pray for her and pray for us. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we would just pray for Sue right now, Lord, that it would just be all of you and none of her. And that we would just hear your heart for us this morning. And Lord, for each one of us, we would just pray that we would have hearts to hear what you want to say to us individually, as well as how you want to speak to us corporately. In Jesus' mighty and wonderful name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Dave. Good morning, everyone. Lovely to be here with you all again. Um, yes, this is an interesting topic, and obviously covenant is such a big subject that, that um, you know, I could be here quite a while, but I've managed to pare it down to half an hour, guys, so I've done really well. Um, so I want to start off with a, a bit of a teaser. Have you ever considered the apparent inconsistencies in the Bible? Perhaps you have, perhaps you haven't. But, you know, Cain killed Abel, and God protected Cain, And he put a mark on him so that no one would kill him. But in Numbers 15, we read about a guy who goes out to collect sticks on the Sabbath and he gets stoned to death. Or perhaps another one. You know, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they were complaining and moaning and groaning. Not all like us, of course. And, you know, 
basically they said, we got no water, we got no meat. And God provided water at Mara, and then he provided quail that came down, and they were able to eat. And, you know, nothing happened. God blessed them, even though they were grumbling and complaining. And then a year after, we know it's a year after, because it says after they'd celebrated the first Passover, they start grumbling and complaining again. And it's the same complaints. It's the water and the bread and the, the boring bread and the no, no meat. And this time, God sends quail again, and it's, he says it's a day's journey out of the camp, so they all trot out. And there's a mound of meat. The birds are all piled up for them neatly in a mound. So they're all collecting all their quails. They go back, and then God gets angry. And there's a great plague. And in another situation, they're bitten by serpents when they complained about the water. So what about this, guys? Is our God inconsistent? Is he unjust? The poor man collecting sticks on the Sabbath? You know, it says in in Malachi, I am the Lord, I do not change. Well, I've got good news for you. Our God doesn't change. Um, But to understand what was going on here, we have to understand covenant. I'm just going to move this mic a minute because it's sort of like slightly in my face. I'm going to bash my head on it, I think. (laughs) Thanks, Dave. So, yeah, the, the, the important thing is it's about covenant, okay? And I'm going to unpack this for us today because God's given me some revelation on it and I want to share it with you today. So let's start with an important scripture in Psalm 89. God is saying, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out from my lips. So just let that sink in a minute. In a minute. God's covenant, he does not break. Once he's in covenant, he does not break that covenant. He doesn't alter the word that's gone out of his lips. He's not fickle. He's not changeable. So we've got to identify what are the terms of covenant. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Because God is faithful to those terms when they are um, <clears throat> when they are initiated. And, you know, Jesus instigated, and this is what started this, the scripture that I was given today, Jesus says, I'm instigating a new covenant in my blood. And here we've got the start of a new year just before us. And, you know, I don't know about you, but it's, things have been mentioned already, but when you start a new year, it's nice to sometimes have a fresh start with God. You know, we've all sort of... We just want a new sort of surge of um, dedication to him, commitment to him, a fresh um, anointing, a fresh time with him that we can start new projects or tail off projects or just have that sense that we're starting something new. So I just thought in looking at covenant and understanding the absolutely stonking, amazing covenant that we have in Jesus, as we've already said, you know, he's our friend. That was such an important um, song we sang today because the words of that song show that it's just incredible what God has done. If you just think about it for a minute, the creator of the universe, the guy who's put all the stars into place, who created this beautiful marble that is suspended in the heavens, that, that being, almighty God, is able to now live in us and be our friend. And that's all because of this covenant that we're going to be looking at today. Now, Mark stole my thunder. 
thanks Pastor Mark, but the word covenant means to cut. And there are lots of covenants in the Bible, and we could be here a while if I was to look at all of them, so you'd be pleased to hear I'm not. But I'm going to put up the the favourite five, the top five of all the biblical scholars. Um, They're up there, great. Okay, so I'm not going to go through all of them, but just pick out a few things in them, because um, there are some important things that relate to the new covenant, okay, which is what we're spending most of our time on. So covenant usually involved... Um, cutting, as I just said. And this cutting involved killing animals, slicing them in half. It was a pretty bloody affair. Laying out the two halves, and then the two parties that were cutting covenant would walk amongst the slain beasts and make their solemn oaths. You know, we've heard about cutting, haven't we, where people cut their wrists and they mix their blood. It's the same sort of idea, but it's animals that are doing it. So covenant is a very, very serious thing, even, even if it isn't a covenant between God Almighty and man. You know, it's, it's a binding commitment, even to death, between two parties. And as I said, we've got five here to look at. Well, just the covenant of Noah is really, really quick. I'm sure you know it already. God promised to never flood the earth again. He was never again going to destroy all of mankind with a flood. Um, He says that uh, while earth remains, seed time, harvest, summer and winter, cold and heat, day and night, will not cease. This is an unconditional covenant for us people, okay? We don't have to do anything. God says, I'm going to do all this. And he says, and this is the rainbow, and it's the sign of my covenant promise. Now, the Abrahamic covenant, the second one on my list, is unpacked for us over three chapters in Genesis, chapters 12, 15, and 17. And during those chapters, there's a progressive revelation of the covenant promises to Abraham. And I am going to just tweak into this in a little bit more depth, because, believe it or not, the Abrahamic covenant and our new covenant have lots of parallels um, that are worth considering. So what did God promise to Abraham? He promised to him that he would have a son through Sarah called Isaac. Very specific. He said this covenant was going to be eternal. Eternal. Not just now. Going on forever. Um, And it would be with him and his descendants. And his descendants were going to be as numerous as the stars in the heaven. Has anybody been, had the luxury of being in the desert or being in a place where there was dark skies? Well, I don't think I've even seen a third of the stars that are up there. Um, you know, I think it must be amazing. And Mark sent us a podcast, thanks Mark, this week, about an astronaut, and she just talks about the stars. And she actually says you can detect that one star is in front of another when you look at them, because your eyes can sense the depth perception. Amazing, I didn't know that. So anyway, Abraham got to look up at the, presumably a dark sky and saw loads of stars. And God said, you know, your, 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 your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the heaven. And the last promise was that all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed through his descendants, on one particular descendant. And the sign of the covenant was circumcision. But again, this was the only condition. Abraham didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to perform any rules or laws or anything. All he had to do was to circumcise all the males um, in order to participate in this covenant. 
Now, the ratification of this government was a fairly bloody affair, as you can see on the slide here. There were three animals and two birds that were slaughtered, and then a deep sleep falls upon Abraham around sunset, and he sees something very odd. He sees a smoking furnace and um, a fiery torch moving amongst the dead creatures. So it's not Abraham moving amongst them. It's all of the, it's these two um, objects, a smoking, uh, smoking furnace and a fiery torch. And um, <clears throat> the scholars believe, biblical scholars who study these things in great detail, believe that these two things represented God Almighty and Jesus moving between these two, these animals that were slain. And Abraham was totally passive. He was just in some sort of drowsy sleep. He could see it, sort of trance-like thing. But he didn't actually have to do anything. That's in total contrast to our third covenant, the Mosaic covenant, Exodus 19. All the children of Israel have come out of Egypt. They're at the foot of Mount Sinai, and God delivers the covenant. He says, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth. For all the earth belongs to me. You will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. And all the people said, we will do everything, Lord, that you have commanded. You see, God wanted a holy people for himself. He wanted a people that he could bring the Messiah through. So he sets up the Mosaic Covenant and he gives them the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, but he also tells Moses lots of other rules that they had to keep. I think there's hundreds of them. And the covenant was very different to the two that we've discussed already. It was a conditional covenant. The people of Israel, the children of Israel, they had to do everything right in order to be blessed. So Deuteronomy 28, if you're familiar with that passage, lists all the blessings and all the curses. If you, if you do it right, you're blessed in every possible way you can think. And if you don't do it right, then you're cursed in every possible way you can think. And this is referred to in Galatians as the curse of the law. But the people, they entered into this covenant with, you know, saying, we will do all that God has said. You know, I just find that incredible to start with. You know, they must have had, they, they presumed upon their own brilliance, if you like, that they'd be able to do all the things that God had said. Um, it's just amazing. So this is a completely different covenant to the previous two, as I've already said. But it does provide the answer to our initial conundrum that I posed at the start of the, of the sermon. Why was Cain spared and even protected when the guy doing the sticks on a Sunday was stoned? The answer lies in covenant, and Romans 5 gives us a, a, a good introduction to it. Verse 13 of Romans 5. Yes, people sinned before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Do you get the idea? There was, they were all doing wrong things. In fact, it was so bad that God had to wipe the earth clean. 
But God didn't count any of their sin. To, he wasn't right making a list of their sins. The Bible has a, a term here called imputed, which if you're a lawyer, you understand. It means it's put on your account. It's imputed to you. God didn't do that for any of those people, even though it was serious stuff. Cain killed Abel, murder, because there wasn't any law to break. A modern example would be the speed limits on the autobahn in Germany. I don't know if any of you have driven in Germany. I had one opportunity to drive in Germany. My cousin was driving the car, and I was terrified, absolutely terrified, because of the speeds he was going down the autobahn. And he was sort of talking, and one hand on the wheel, you know, it's just... Anyway, we won't go there. But the thing about the autobahn is, between cities, you can go as fast as you like. There are no rules. You can't get a speeding ticket because there is no rule. But as soon as you go into that zone where a town is close by, then the speed limit drops. And you, you could be doing the same speed limit you would, speed you were doing before, but as soon as you go into there, you'll get a ticket. And that's a bit like what we're looking at here. You can get a ticket once you come under the Mosaic Covenant. And that's what happened to the guy with the, with the sticks. He, was, he knew he shouldn't be doing it. It was working on the Sabbath. And the punishment followed because God is, is, is true to his covenant. <clears throat> and that's true. Of, if you look at all of the situations with the Israelites coming out of Egypt, the time before the law, before Sinai, is when grace flowed and they were never punished for grumbling. But as soon as the, the law came, which was a year later after the Sinai incident and the giving of the Ten Commandments, then the law came and then, the, the, then you know, God punished them for their um, grumbling. So this is the weakness of the Mosaic Covenant. It's a covenant of doing. Do, 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 do. Do it all right every day or else you'll get something bad happening. Actions were required to keep the covenant. So if God knew man would not make the mark... Why do you think he instigated such a horrible covenant? Our loving God, this covenant, very odd. Well, Galatians, again, I'd recommend Galatians. Interesting, Richard's reading Galatians. I've been reading a lot of Galatians too, because Galatians is about a church that tries to mix the new covenant and the Mosaic covenant. Nightmare. But yeah, I'll leave you to find out about that if you want to read Galatians. So Galatians says there's two reasons. Galatians 3.24. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. So this is the first reason. The first reason was because of transgressions, because of sins. God knew he had to get a virgin to give birth to the seed promised to Abraham. There had to be a virgin left on the earth, if you like. So he tries to get a holy nation of people that will obey his laws and hold back the force of sin. When sin was unchecked, we ended up with a flood. We ended up with corruption and evil and everybody just totally perverse that God threw his hands up in horror and said, I want to start again. So this time, God gets a nation of people who are imperfect. Jesus hasn't come yet. So he has to instigate something, a framework that will work. So he, he gives them the law. And this curbs sin sufficiently 
for, um, you know, order to be maintained to a degree in this group. And also, the second point is, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So they, as we've seen already, the, the, the children of Israel, they could not keep the law, and we can't keep the law. But it does drive us to our knees. It drives us to Jesus to rec- recognise that we can't save ourselves. We have to have a saviour. We have to put our trust in him. So God knew we couldn't do it. You know, we needed a covenant like the one with Abraham. If you go back and think about the Abrahamic covenant, Abraham was passive. God cut the covenant with himself between the torch and the flaming and the, and the smoking pot. Abraham was just watching and the blessings flowed through that covenant through no action on his part. And that's the sort of covenant that God knew we needed because we're the weak link in the chain. If he cuts covenant with us, he knows that we will fail. We won't hold up our side of the bargain. So, the, you know, the covenant, the Moses covenant was flawed. Romans 8 puts it like this. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in, the, in a body like the bodies of, that we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. So this is a really fat scripture, if you like. It's got such a lot in it. Um, but I just, I'll pick up on something which I wasn't going to talk about, but because of what the words that have come through earlier, I think it's important to say that, you know, God's declared an end to sin's control over us. So when Jesus comes and we go into the waters of baptism, I'm going to be talking about that in a minute, but that's when we say, oh, my old man has died and my new life is coming through Jesus. That's when sin's control over us. When we're putting our faith in Jesus and then we go into the waters, is like a picture of that. It's, it's, it's acting out what's actually going on spiritually. We die to ourselves and we have to, at that point, yield, as Richard was saying. We have to give up. We have to surrender and really let God in to see the full and abundant life that we're going to be talking about in a minute. You know, we couldn't do it, so Jesus had to do it for us. Just like the flaming torch with the Abrahamic covenant, he had to die in our place. He fulfilled the law perfectly. We couldn't possibly do that. He says, I haven't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. He is the only man, human, in eternity who has ever fulfilled God's Mosaic law perfectly and he did it on our behalf he died in our place the person the just Jesus the perfect Jesus for the unjust us to bring us to God I'm nearly there okay (laughs) so let's look at the similarities with the Abrahamic covenant it starts getting exciting now Okay, so like the smoking furnace and the fiery torch, the Father God and Jesus cut covenant for us on the cross. But it wasn't an animal's blood being shed. It was Jesus' blood. Jesus' own blood was shed to cut this covenant with Father God. But we again, 
We're like the observers, like Abraham. We're in the dark. People didn't know what was happening. We just watched the events of Jesus dying on the cross, like Abraham watched the smoking furnace and the fiery torch going amid amid all the sliced animals. Like Abraham, our covenant is unconditional. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. The sign of our covenant isn't circumcision, it's baptism. So again, baptism doesn't save us, but it is the sign. It is the thing that God invites us to do, to enact our covenant, to visualize our covenant, to sort of like make it real to us. So if you haven't been baptized, I really recommend it. It was a profound moment in my life. And I did it a long time after I became a Christian because I just didn't know that it was so important at that initial point. We're going to be organising a baptismal service in February this year, next year. Okay, and like Abraham, our covenant is based on faith. Acts 13.39 says... Um, And by him, that's Jesus, all that believe are justified from all the things they could not be justified from through the law of Moses. All that believe, all that believe are justified. See, the Jews just didn't get it. When they walked around with Jesus, they were listening to him talk. He was trying to get them into the mindset of this new covenant that was coming, not the Mosaic covenant. This is something new, guys, based on different promises. So they said to him, but they were works-minded. What, 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 what we've got to do to do the works of God? What, do you, what does God require? What have we got to do? Jesus' answer is quite profound. He says the work of God, this, is to believe. You don't have to do anything. You have to just believe that you're bankrupt, spiritually speaking, and you have to put your trust in me. So the new covenant is not do, 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 do. It's done. Okay, it's done for us by Jesus. And a full description of this amazing covenant is in Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. So um, if you want to read more about it, that's the place to go. So this covenant, I mean, it's the summary of it in, in, in chapter 10, um, verses 6 to, well, there's very, loads in that chapter 10. We're going to read a few verses. And God says, this is the covenant, this is the new covenant that I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put their laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So, We're in the new covenant today. So start to reprogram your minds, not to how you feel, okay, because feelings aren't truth often. Reprogram your minds to what God's word says about you. He says he's put his laws in your heart. So you're not like Cain. You do know right from wrong. You know intrinsically what is God's heart in a matter And he's written them on your mind as well. The Bible says you have the mind of Christ. And God says this amazing thing in this covenant, that our sins and our lawless acts, 
Is he keeping and having a look at occasionally? No. That's so amazing. He remembers them no more. No more, okay? So if there's anything you've done in your life that you are ashamed of, you wish you hadn't done it, or even the silly things like arguing with your spouse yesterday, God says, I will remember them no more. You know, it's good from our point of view to confess our sins, and it says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, to say sorry to God when you you miss it, I'm not saying that. But the point is, this isn't something that rumbles on and on and on. Once it's done, it's dealt with. He says, I will remember their sins no more. And then it says, and where these have been forgiven, a sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Jesus' death means the end of the sacrificial system. The mosaic system is over. You know, Hebrews talks about a new and better covenant. And where the new has come, then the old is ready to just, just pass away, to just fall away. You know, don't go back to the law. Don't go back to a law mentality. I've got to do, do, do to be acceptable with God. That is not what it's about. It's about being the opposite of the children of Israel. When God says you have to do all these things, you say, no, I can't. I can't keep them, Lord. No, hooray, you've realised. No, we can't keep them. Jesus kept them. And it goes on to say in verse 14 that by one offering, the offering of Jesus on the cross, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And I absolutely love that bit because it, puts, it juxtaposes two things that's going on in our lives. Perfected forever means we are made perfect. And that's past tense, okay? You have been made perfect in God's eyes. We know we're not perfect though, don't we? Because it goes on to say those who are being sanctified. There's a continual process going on in our lives where we're being sanctified. We're going from glory to glory. We look at the word. We change because of the word. We, the mirror of the word reflects something in our lives that isn't quite right. We do something about it. We sort out that with God. But that's not why we have a relationship with him. It's the consequence of that. Do you understand what I mean? Faith without works is dead, but faith comes first. The works, the the things we do for God or the changes we want to make in our lives are part of our love for him and our recognition of all that he's done for us. Because in his mind, you're already perfect. But you're already perfect only because of Jesus. So I really want that to sink in today because we're going to break bread in a minute. And, you know, we're going to go back to the scripture which started this all off for me. Um, Our scripture today from Luke 22. And he took bread and he gave thanks. This is Jesus, of course. And he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise also he took the cup after supper saying, this is the cup, This this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Now, I did a message just before the Christmas messages on the Passover, so this one really should butt up, my message today should butt up against that one, okay, because I talked about the Passover a lot there. So Jesus has got the backdrop of the imagery of the Passover, of the sacrificial lamb, of the unleavened bread, 
of the miraculous delivery from slavery. That's the backdrop to this meal. And Jesus is repurposing the elements of the Passover. He's talking about something new that was coming. And he's saying that now the unleavened bread, which is why we do this with our bread and wine, is now his body broken for us. So the unleavened bread spoke of no sin. Mark gave a great sermon on getting all the leaven out of our lives. And Jesus is now the sinless um, lamb of God represented by the unleavened bread. You know, he's broken for us. And it says in Isaiah 52 that he was so broken that his visage didn't look human anymore. So he went through suffering for us, which we're going to look at in a minute. And then the wine is the, represents his blood. The covenant was cut in Jesus' blood with Father God. God cut covenant with himself. Instead of a lamb which was slain like in the Passover to avert the judgment of the death angel, the death ray, if you like. <laughs> you know, God let his judgment fall on Jesus. The judgment did fall, but it fell on Jesus. So as we partake of these elements today together, I want you to just remember the following things. God doesn't remember our sins, Hebrews ten seventeen. He doesn't remember your sins. He really doesn't remember your sins. You might, but God doesn't. So we should have no more guilty consciousness of sins, it says in Hebrews 2. That's astounding, if you really think about that. We shouldn't go around feeling guilty. We have the mind of Christ, I've mentioned already. His law is in our heart and mind, I've mentioned already. And he lives in us through the Holy Spirit and is always near you despite what you feel. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's with you all the time. In fact, he's in you. Can't get closer than that. And he seals you with the stamp of ownership and preservation, which is the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13. So as you partake today, I want you to rejoice because God has made a way for us imperfect people to be so close to him to be his friend and him be a friend to us. It's, it's beyond words what Jesus has done for us. If we look at all the imperfection of the previous covenant, the Mosaic one, Jesus has taken all of that away. So let's remember the significance of these two elements, his broken body and his shed blood. And in this last slide from Isaiah 53, <coughs> excuse me, I've unpacked the meaning of the Hebrew words. So as you read it today, <coughs> um, if there's something that you need from God, it's probably covered in this. <laughs> it says, Truly, he has lifted our disease, our grief, our sickness, and carried and bore away on our behalf all of our affliction, our grief, and our pain. So does any of that speak to you today? Because Jesus has already done it. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. <coughs> he was pierced for our rebellion and sin. He was beaten to pieces for our perversity and evil. Upon him was the correction that brought us peace and safety. And that word peace means to be well, to be happy, to be healthy, prosperous. And with his wounds we are healed and cured. 
It even means mended by stitching. God is a seamstress. If you need that today, just receive it. And I just want to close with this thought before Dave does the communion for us. That he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give you, me, all of us here today, anybody listening online, all things. And all those things are listed in Isaiah 53. Be blessed, people. God loves you so much. Just receive from him today. He really loves you. Thank you for listening.